morning. What a, what a special morning already, right? Well, um, before I get started here, it's probably important to announce that today is my sister Sam's birthday. Where's she at? She's right. If everybody could just look at her and make her feel really awkward. Is anybody else's birthday today that we need to point out and make you feel? Scott Baldwin. It's Scott Baldwin's birthday today. Make sure, make sure you look at him and make him feel awkward. It's Scott Kalina's birthday today. I just made that up. I just made that up. It's not his birthday. <laughs> There's nothing more awkward than when it's not your birthday and somebody says it's your birthday. So I, I had to throw that one in there. It's not, it's not Scott Klein's birthday. All right. <laughs> oh, man, we're having too much fun. Okay. Let's pray real quick. Lord, we just love you. We invite you, Holy Spirit, into this time. We thank you that you already have just poured yourself out on us, God. And we just receive your spirit, Lord. We pray for anointing, God. We, everything we do here today, we do that every person in here, that every person that listens, Lord, that they would know your love. So, Lord, I surrender my voice to you in this time. We surrender our hearts and our minds and our ears to you in this time to receive what you have to offer us today, Lord. Lord, we pray that it would transform our lives, that it wouldn't just enter into our mind and, and be a, a, a thought or a subthought, Lord, that it would just enter into our hearts and that it would transform and change us, God. And we do all of this for your glory, Lord. We cast all of our crowns at your feet, Lord. All of this is for your glory and for your honor, Lord. And we just worship you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, uh, there are some, there are some pastors, there are some speakers, some, some, some spiritual leaders that I like to listen to. I listen to some podcasts sometimes when I'm working out in the morning, I'm out on a morning jog, or if I'm driving in my car, I like to listen to these pastors and these podcasts. And I don't know them personally, but I know what I know of them. I would say that they're connected to the Spirit and, and they're submitted to the Spirit. And there are some times where um, these things that I'm listening to from multiple different people, and a lot of times even from the pastors here, from Pastor Ben or Pastor Jeff or Pastor Mark, um, they almost tend to flow together. It's almost as if people are sharing the same message, and that would make sense because we're connected to the same Holy Spirit, and we're all listening to the same Holy Spirit. And there are times, I think, where God releases these revelations or these, um, these, these truths that are meant to create movements within a body and within a church, and they're only for a local body. There's been messages that have been shared for this body that are only for this body, that the Lord is moving in a specific way here. But there's also times where the Lord seems to relieve the, or release these, uh, these almost like apostolic, um, messages, these these messages that are meant to, to transform and to, to maybe shift the, the, the soil of a land, sometimes a nation or sometimes the globe. And this would make sense because the Lord is going to come back and he's coming back for the world, right? So there's going to be moments where the Lord is moving things in a way that's in a, that is meant to um, facilitate a movement that is going to cover literally the entire world as he starts to prepare the land for his return. 
And, and so there are these moments when we start to listen to these messages and they start to kind of flow together. It's as if the Lord is releasing this apostolic revelation, this apostolic truth that is meant to shift the entire land. Everybody who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And I think that this is one of the blessings of the local church. This is one of the blessings of us being in unity and being able to come together. The scripture says that, where God says that my ways are, are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And that means that, that in all of, of, of what we could know of God is just actually a small measure of who he actually is. Like, like our minds couldn't possibly perceive the fullness of who God is. We just perceive a small measure of who God is. But when we're connected in a body, because each one of us are individuals and we have individual relationships with the Lord and each one of us experience and hear the Lord differently throughout our lives, when we come together, maybe I can only see what would be perceived as like a pixel of who God is. But when we all come together and you form this pixel of who God is, who the love, what the love and the grace of God has done in your life, then we start to paint a bigger picture of who God really is, right? This is the blessing of the local church. We come together in unity, and in unity, we, we draw this beautiful picture of the love and the grace of God. In, in the book of Revelation, John is taken um, in the spirit into the throne room of God. And the scripture says that he's described, John's trying to just write down everything that he sees, right? And he's seeing things that are otherworldly. They, they can't be described with human language. So he's trying to describe these things and he's saying things like, there's, it's like a sea of glass. And I'm thinking in my mind, I couldn't even perceive or think of what that would actually look like. What does a sea of glass even look like? I don't know. He's seeing these things that are otherworldly. They can't even be described with human language, but he's giving his best effort to describe these otherworldly things with some form of human language, or some form of language that we could draw from. And he's describing these He's describing the throne of God and he's describing what he sees in God sitting on the throne. And then he's describing these angelic beings that are circling the throne. And he's describing them with terms that would reference like an animal-like figure, which is, which is probably a, nothing like they really are, but it's the best thing that he could come up with, right? And these things have wings all over and these, 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 these beings have eyes all over. And the scripture says that all day and all night they circle the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it's as if that these, these angelic beings, as they circle the throne with literally eyes all over, I think that's purposeful, as they circle the throne and they see with a different eye, a different angle of the glory of God, they can't help but be in awe again. And from the moment they were created, for, the, for thousands of years, who knows how long, they've circled the throne every moment, seeing a new angle of the glory of God, and every moment being in awe of who he is. Right? Just being in a blown away, circling the throne and see a new angle and say, oh my goodness, God is so glorious, he's so holy, and then moving a little bit, a little bit more to the right and then saying, oh my goodness, I didn't see this part of him before and he's so holy and he's so glorious and every time they move, seeing a new part of him and, and experiencing a new part of him and each time being in awe of exactly who he is. And as we go on these, this journey of faith, 
We pursue the experiencing God and then receive different perspectives of other people's um, experience of God. We get to join with the angels and saying, holy, 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 God is so glorious. One of the things that was cool, I was at Wes and Chelsea's yesterday, and I was over by their little flower table, and um, and there was somebody had come over and said they just bought a, a pie from Betty Herb, and they were so excited to try this pie from Betty Herb, and I guarantee you they weren't disappointed. <laughs> but they were so excited, and, and, and Chelsea's reaction was, you have to hear their story. And, and, and this is the whole purpose of the storehouse, but this is, this is meaningful because Chelsea's saying, I have seen the glory of God through somebody else's life. And you have to experience that. And as we come together, we get to experience that as the church. And so when I listen to these messages and I listen to whether I'm listening to a Damon Thompson message or Maddie Montgomery, Cor Russell, I'm listening to some of these, these people that I that I particularly like to listen to. And then I come to church and I hear um, Pastor Jeff or Pastor Ben or Pastor Mark share a message that, that just perfectly aligns with these things as if they're all sharing the same notes. I realize that the Lord is actually preparing the land for something, for a move. He's actually, he's actually tilling up the soil for a harvest. He's preparing to release seed into the land that's going to produce a harvest in the land and not just a local harvest, but actually a global harvest. He's, he's preparing the land for a move of the Spirit that's going to blow our minds. And I think that as I've been listening lately, as I've been listening to these podcasts and then coming here and listening to some what the other pastors here have to share and listening to some other people that um, are just spirit-minded people, how the Lord has been speaking to them and into them, I realize that I believe that the Lord is, there's a shift that's happening. Um, in America, maybe even globally, there's a shift that's happening. The Lord is tilling up the soil. He's releasing some seed. And I believe that the call of the Holy Spirit in this time is to come into his love. And that might sound like really simple, right? That might sound super simple, come into his love. But maybe it is simple, maybe it's not easy. And I have just a little analogy to tell you exactly, explain to exactly exactly what I mean. A few uh, few years before Easy was born, me and Emma uh, and her family and my family would go to West Virginia every year, and even a year after Easy was born, and we would go into the, the mountains, into the middle of nowhere, into Camp Conrad, and it is really is the middle of nowhere. It is stereotypical West Virginia. In the middle, we would stay in this cabin in the middle of this valley, and there's one gas station that's also a convenience store that's also a ice cream shop. It's also a sandwich shop. It's also a gun shop. They also have a little craft room in the side. It's that kind of West Virginia, right? That's the only place that you could possibly go to other than just into the mountains. And we would ride four-wheelers and, and we would uh, climb mountains and we would sit around a fire and we would catch crawfish. And sometimes I would eat the crawfish. They're not that good. They were out of a creek. But you got to try them, right? And, and um, it's just the most beautiful thing. It's one of my favorite places to be. No cell phone service, just the middle of nowhere. Just you and the, and the Lord's creation, right? And there's this creek that runs in, in through the mountains. And there's this place down the road where you can kind of park and walk down. And there's a break in the creek and there's a waterfall there, right? And it's just a, it's just a creek waterfall. Yes, a waterfall. She liked that. <laughs> she likes waterfalls. There's a waterfall. There's a little break in the creek. And there's a waterfall there. And like I said, it's just a creek waterfall. It's 
probably like 20 feet high, if I had to guess. And, um, and we would always go down there, and you would just, just to go down there and see it is beautiful. It, it's, it looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful. It, it, it smells beautiful. It, everything about it is just beautiful, right? And we would go down, and, and we would look at it. And I'm a little bit adventurous, if you haven't figured that out yet. So I get bored with just looking at the beauty. I want to actually go into it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go swimming in this. I love swimming in any dirty water hole that you could find. The dirtier, the better. If there's, if there's gross fish in there, I want to be in with them. So that's the way that I am. I don't know. The Lord made me this way. I think it was New Waterford, actually, that did it to me. I got New Waterford in my blood. But we, but I get a little adventurous and I want to go into this waterfall. And as beautiful as everything is from the outside, you get into the waterfall and you realize this, just this little creek waterfall that's 20 feet high is actually really powerful. When you stand in the middle of the waterfall, you realize the water is hitting your shoulders and hitting your head and you realize this is actually really, really powerful. And I actually think the same is true of the love of God. I think that it's beautiful from the outside. It's powerful from the inside. And I, and I think that sometimes we, um, I think that the birthplace of the spirit of religion is a person who perceives from the outside the beauty of the love of God and hears about all that it presents to you. And, and because they haven't come into it and haven't come up close enough, they feel like there's this disconnect in their life where they perceive the love of God and they know that the love of God is meant to to run out any type of bitterness and unforgiveness and any type of lack of self-worth inside of us. And except that we think in our minds, well, you know what? I don't experience that. I, I know of it. I see it from a distance, but I haven't experienced that in my life. And because working your way into the waterfall is a little bit uncomfortable, and my wife would say is a little undignified, because working yourself into the waterfall is a little undignified, people will say, I would rather just try to perform my way into trying to experience the thing, the things that the Bible and Jesus says are available to me. And I think this is what happens so often within the church is we like to look from a distance, a safe distance, a dignified distance, and not have to come into the place where love actually purifies us not actually come into this place where love has its way in us. When I would come into the waterfall, you could get close to the waterfall and you start to feel the mist of the waterfall, maybe even get a little bit wet, and, but there's still going to be dry parts left on you. There's gonna, still going to be dry um, um, parts of your shirt. Maybe the back of your shirt is still going to be dry. And I think that we can come close to the love of God and still have dry spots in our lives spiritually. But when we come and actually step into the midst of it, there is, it will, it will wash away and touch every part of you. It will leave no part of you dry. It will fill up every part of you. And then all of those things that the scripture says are available to you, all those things that the scripture says the love of God will do to you, it will run out um, lack of self-worth. It will make you know your value. It will run out bitterness and unforgiveness and, and trauma and all of these things that the scripture says that the love of God will do to you, it will do to you when, when you've allowed its power to flow through you and to touch every, permeate every single part of you, you will become so full of the love of God that you won't possibly be, have room for offense. Like, you won't possibly have room for self-hatred. 
Because you'll be so full of the love of God, you won't have room for unforgiveness. And that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to call the church out of this spirit of performance and out of the spirit of religion and back into his love, where we actually step in and we become permeated, completely covered by the love of Jesus. When I, uh, when I look back at just what the Lord has done over the past year, there's no doubt that the Lord has been moving in this body. There's no doubt that, that the Lord has been, uh, uh, the Spirit has been poured out on us in, in a unique way, a way that I've never experienced before in my life. And in, in this body, we have seen the, the Spirit of the Lord poured out, anointing poured out on us in ways that, that are just really amazing tangible ways. I mean, we have evidence of the Spirit's movement over the past year. And when I look at some of the things that the Lord has, has spoken into us and some of the ways the Lord has instructed us and some of the ways He's guided us, I think every single thing He does, He does for the sake of love. And, and I think that everything that He does, He does to position us in a place where we can receive better His love for us. And so when we when we, when the Lord gives us an instruction to start um, being more intentional about prayer and fasting, what the Lord is really doing is He is He is saying, "I want you to be so submitted to your spirit nature that you start to hear My Spirit. You start to walk in step with My Holy Spirit. And when and when you start to walk in step with My Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus." It testifies of his love. It literally, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 15, 26, when the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And so the Lord would desire for us to move, being intentional about prayer and fasting so that we can hear the spirit more so that we could know more of the love of Jesus. I think, if I think that if there's a, a verse that defines what the Lord desires to do throughout this land and throughout this place and throughout us in this time, it's Song of Solomon 2.10. And this is what it says, My beloved speaks to me and says, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. I think the Lord is so countercultural. He's so countercultural. He usually will do exactly the opposite of what in our human minds we would expect him to do. And at a time where we can look around and see blatantly that evil is rising up all against us, manifesting itself all, all over the place against us, it would be easy for us to assume that what the Lord's going to do is he's going to raise up an army. And he's going to and he's going to, through this army, he's going to position ministries that are going to fight back. And actually, I think sometimes when, when we see all this manifesting around us, what the Lord is really calling us to do is just come away with me. If you would just come away with me, I would anoint you for all of the things that I need done in the land. But you first, you have to just come away with me. In the scripture, Jesus says, all, to, all who are, are weary and heavy burdened, come to me. Come to me. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you know why his yoke is easy and his burden is light? Because when you come to him, he anoints you for all of the things that he needs from you. And when you go back into the world, those things that the Lord presents before you, they will be 
effortless to you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light and because his anointing has done the work. I'm actually convinced that Jesus is the only one that's ever effective for the kingdom. But when we would come into his presence and we would receive his anointing and we would start to bear his image in the world, then we'll be, start to be effective for the kingdom. Well, he's the only one that's effective, but when we start to bear his image, then we become effective. And the whole entire story of the Bible is not God trying to get humanity to look a certain way or to act a certain way. It's not to try to get humanity to fight his battles for him. The whole entire story of the Bible is God's desire to dwell with man. The whole entire story of the Bible is that God desires for you to be with him. And I think that it's easy for us to misprioritize what the Lord desires from us and think the Lord wants us to go out and fight all his battles for him before he's actually desired for us to come and be with him. When I think of Adam and Eve, there was a time where God created everything and there was a time before sin had drawn any corruption into the world. And Adam and Eve lived in a time where things, creation was exactly as the Lord desired it to be. And in that time, Adam and Eve weren't putting on a song and a dance for the Lord. And they weren't building um, um, fancy buildings and, and, and trying to impress the Lord. They were literally just walking with him. That's the Lord's desire. He, everything was as the Lord desired it to be in that time. And, and as the Lord desired it to be in that time was man walking with him. I know that in my life there's been moments where I've constantly had to fight back against this spirit of religion, this spirit of performance. I remember first, first when I first started um, helping with the teenagers up in ministry, and I, I had no idea what I was doing, you know. Um, and um, I would gauge the success of everything by how many people showed up, right? We had a 20 people all of a sudden show up. I thought, man, we're killing it in ministry. None of them are being transformed, but we're having a lot of fun, and more and more people are showing up to have fun. And actually, I, I think as the Lord has transformed my heart, and as he's revealed his love to me, I've realized that, that, that God cares only about eternity. Right? He cares about these young people knowing his love, and that's all he cares about. And if they're having the worst time of their life, but they know the love of Jesus, then we are succeeding. Right? Because that's all that matters is that, is that everything that we do is we do so that the, the world would know the love of Jesus. And I think that there's, there's some freedom in, 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 the tr- in that truth. There's some freedom because we don't have to strive anymore. We don't have to try anymore to try to earn or perform our way into being loved by the Lord. We can just be loved. Damon Thompson says we were created by love, through love, and for love. And, you know, I'm, th- I'm convinced more and more that the greatest hindrance to the church, the greatest hindrance to the, what the Lord's d- desired will is for the church and for the world is not the kingdom of darkness. It's not evil people. It's the spirit of religion. 
And I think this has actually always been the greatest hindrance to humanity's relationship with God. And I don't think it's necessary that we're terrible at loving God, even though sometimes we're terrible at loving God. I think it's more so that we're terrible at being loved by God. You know, in, in, in all of the Gospels, there's one account, there's one moment where Jesus has an encounter with Satan. Now, you'd think that Satan would be a lot more prominent and a lot more um, um, present within the, the life and ministry of Jesus, but there's one account where Jesus has an encounter with Satan. And in this moment where Jesus has this encounter with Satan, you know what the first temptation, the first thing that Satan tries to do to him? Satan tries to say to him, if you are the Son of God. Now here's what's amazing about this thought. Think about this for a second. Satan, before his fall, was an angel who led worship. Jesus, before he was born, was in heaven in glory. And there was, there was a time where Satan led worship, worshiping Jesus. And now he stood on this mountain and he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, and here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that Satan isn't saying, you have to prove to me you're the Son of God. He's saying, you have to prove to you you're the Son of God. And Jesus is saying, I don't have nothing to prove to you, and I sure as heck don't have nothing to prove to me. I am his son because he calls me his son. I am who I am because of who he calls me. I, I don't have to show you. I don't have to perform my way into it. I don't have to put on a show for you or anybody else. I am loved because he calls me loved. Jesus has seven Encounters where he cast out demons in the Gospels. But the greatest antagonist to the Gospel, the greatest antagonist to what the Lord is doing throughout the Gospel, what Jesus himself is doing throughout the Gospel, is fighting back against the, the, the spirit of religion manifest in the Pharisees. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to turn to any chapter in the Gospels and find Jesus not clashing with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders refused to believe. They had spent their whole life trying to earn the grace and the love of God. And they refused to believe that somebody could just show up and be loved. That somebody could just possibly be created for the sake of love. For, to receive the love of Jesus. To live in the love of Jesus. They refused to believe that. In, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is commissioning his 12 disciples. He's about to send his 12 disciples out into the world. And in in chapter 10, starting in verse 16, this is what the scripture says. He says, says, look, I'm sending you out like a sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to the local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say in that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, I was reading this a few weeks ago, and I felt the Lord say to me, Who is them? Who is them in verse 17? The scripture says, beware of them. And I thought, well, it's the wolves. It's probably like the evil people in the world and all the bad people. Then I keep reading in verse 17. It says, they will flog you in their synagogues. And I said, oh my goodness, he's not talking about the evil people. He's talking about the religious people. He's not talking about the, the, the kingdom of darkness. Is gonna, the kingdom of darkness doesn't have synagogues to flog you in. 
God is sending out his, his, he's sending out his 12 disciples and he's sending, he's saying, I'm sending you out and the people that are going to try to oppress you and tear you down are the people that refuse to believe that you could be loved. They refuse to believe that a bunch of fishermen could possibly operate in the grace and the love of God. You know, even after, even after being introduced to freedom and the power of bl- the blood of Jesus, people still, we still tend to sink back into um, the spirit of performance, the spirit of religion. We sink back into unbelief. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this is what the scripture says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be no benefit to you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. For you are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith and the the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor non-circumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you a little leaven, leavens the whole batch of dough. Let me read this real quick in the Passion Translation. I know this is a lot, but this is so, so important for us to hear and to understand. This is what it says in the Passion Translation. Let it be clear the anointed one has set us free not partially, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past. I, Paul, tell you, if you think there is benefit in circumcision in Jewish regulations, then you're acting as though Jesus, the anointed one, is not enough. I say it again emphatically. If you let yourselves be circumcised, you are a obligated to fulfill every single one of the commandments and regulations of the law. If you want to be made holy by fulfilling the obligations of the law, you've cut off more than your flesh. You have cut yourselves off from the anointed one and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. But the Holy Spirit convinces us that we have received by faith the glorious righteousness of the anointed one. When you're placed in the anointed one and joined to him, circumcision and religious obligations can benefit you nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that is activated and brought to perfection by love. Before you were led astray, you were so faithful to the Messiah. What what have you now turned away from? What is right and true? Who has deceived you? The one who unfolded you unfolded you into his grace is not behind this false teaching that you've embraced, not at all. Don't you know that when you allow even a little lie into your heart, it can permeate your entire belief system? You know, when I, when I would first read this, I would, when I would read where, where the scripture says, for freedom Christ has set, set us free, stand firm then and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. I always assume the yoke of slavery would have been sin. 
right? I always assume the yoke of slavery was I had been doing bad things and now the Lord is saying, don't fall back into bad things. Actually, that's exactly the opposite. That's not at all what the Lord is saying here. What the Lord is saying is, because he, Paul goes straight into talking about circumcision and Jewish regulation. He's saying, you've been set free from the spirit of religion. Now you need to, to, to make sure that you put every effort, effort towards staying free. Don't submit again to the same yoke that had kept you in bondage before. Verse 9 says, if you, if you know, Don't you know that when you allow even a little lie into your heart, it will permeate your entire belief system? If you allow even just a little bit of this religious performance-based spirit to live inside of you, it will corrupt your entire belief system. It will corrupt your entire belief system. You can't possibly know the love of God and think that you can perform your way into it. You can't possibly know the grace of the cross and think that your performance has anything to do with it. So I want to I just take a second here. I'm going to close with this, all right? I want to I just reintroduce you to grace a little bit. Real grace, as the Lord has instructed it to be. I want to reintroduce you to real grace. The Lord spoke to the prophet Hosea in, in, in the book of Hosea. And the Lord says to you, I want you to go marry a woman of promiscuity. I want you to go marry a prostitute. And Hosea says, okay, I'll do that. And he goes and he marries a prostitute. And, and pretty much what we would expect would happen in your natural mind happens. This prostitute, not before long, she returns to her old ways and starts to live in her past um, sins. She go, returns to the streets and she starts to sell herself off to any man that would, would purchase her again. And the Lord goes to Hosea and he says, I want you to go pay the full price for your bride. And the Lord is saying this. He's saying, this is Israel. This is my people. Because I have made a covenant in love with them and I have promised my covering over them. And they have returned back to the, to, to the, to the foreign gods. They have returned back to the, to, the, to the things that are less than my covenant. But this is what the Lord says. I mean, listen, you could read through the Old Testament and get this understanding or this idea that God is just up in heaven just, just with lightning bolts ready to kill anybody that would possibly come against him. And this is what he says. He's, he's talking about his bride. He's talking about his people. This is what it says in Hosea chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her. This is the Lord speaking about his people. This is the Lord speaking about Israel. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness. I'm going to lead her into this place where it's just me and my bride. I'm going to lead her into a place where it's just me and my people, where they're dependent on me, and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. Therefore, I will give her vineyards back to her. I'm going to release her blessing back to her. I'm going to make the valley of a chore. The valley of chore is the valley of trouble. I'm going to make the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. He's not saying, I'm going to come with my rod and I'm going to correct, even though the, the, the rod of the Lord is the grace of the Lord. He's not saying about, about his bride. He's saying, I am going to, I am going to, I'm going to romance 
her back into my love. That's grace. I'm going to romance her back into my love. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered by their names. On that day, I'll make a covenant for them with the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter bow, sword, and weapons of war in the land and will enable the people to rest securely. I will take you, by, take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. On that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky and it will respond to the earth. The earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the fresh oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will sow her in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on Lorama, and I will say to Loami, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. And then Hosea 6.6, 6, this is what the Lord says, for I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. When I was talking to Emma this, um, last night, just a little bit about some of what the Lord had showed me here, and um, she said, you know why some people stay out of the waterfall is because I could put all my makeup on and have my hair all did up, and I could perceive the love of God from the outside. When I get inside, you have to lose your dignity. Because all of that stuff starts to come off. All of that dignity starts to be released. And I think that, that there are places where the Lord wants to take you and places where the Lord wants to take us that absolutely require you to leave your dignity at the door. Like, like I believe that there's a freedom that the Lord wants to release inside of each one of you, each one of us. There's a new freedom that the Lord wants to take us in and it's completely rooted in us being willing to stand under the waterfall of his love and just let it penetrate every single part of us. I was talking to Ricky last night and we were just, we were just going back and forth and talking a little bit about what uh, the Lord has been speaking to each of us and I was talking a little bit about some of this stuff and and he said this, this line, I said, man, this wrap, this is, sums up everything that I, the, everything that, that the Lord is speaking. He said this, he said, Jesus isn't coming back for a warrior. He's coming back for a bride. He's not coming back for a fighter. He's coming back for a lover. Jesus is coming back for a lover. And he isn't positioning you and he's not equipping you in order to make you into a warrior. He's positioning you and equipping you to make you into a lover. to just sit and be loved by him, to allow his love to permeate and penetrate every single part of you. And when that starts to happen, the Lord's anointing will cover you and, you and all of the things that the Lord says are available to you will be yours. All of his inheritance will be yours when you become convinced that the Lord is coming back for a lover. He's coming back for a lover.
Maybe today all you need is to come up to this altar here today and to stand under his love. Maybe you need to lose your dignity a little bit enough just to come up and to stand under his love and to, and to start to believe that the Lord loves you radically. To start to believe that it's his grace on the cross that has actually set you free and nothing you could ever do for him. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your cross, Lord. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you that you've invited us to stand in your love, to let love penetrate, permeate every single part of our lives, Lord. Lord, we pray that as we do that, God, that, that, that all of the bitterness and unforgiveness and, and all of the unbelief would be run out of us, Lord. There would be no more room in us for any of that stuff because your love will have filled every part of us. Lord, we don't pray for just the idea of freedom. We pray for real freedom, Lord. Real freedom that is only made by your love, God. Oh, Lord, set us free, Lord. Set us free, Lord. Let us lose our dignity in order just to be with you, God. In order to be washed away in your love, just, just swept away in your love, Lord. Let us lose your dig our dignity for you, Jesus. We bless you. We honor you today, Lord. We pray for weather that will hold off. We speak that weather will hold off so we can baptize every person that desires to be baptized today, Lord. And we pray that in every person as they go into the water, that there's a tangible move of your spirit inside of them, Lord. We thank you that 2,000 years after you went to the cross, we're baptizing people in your name, Jesus, yeah. Yeah. because you are still powerful, because you are still faithful, because you are still moving, Lord. So we thank you for what you're doing. We worship you. We give you all of the glory, Lord. And we love you, Lord, because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.